I'm Deli and I'm an addict. Hey Deli. Hey Deli. I'm Emma, uh, I'm an alcoholic addict and a codependent. My name's Claire and I am also a recovering alcoholic addict, codependent, shopaholic, what else? Family member. Family member. And we are welcoming to this episode of the Kennedy Street Recovery Podcast two guests. Would like to introduce yourselves please. Hello um, I'm Georgie I'm a young queer aspiring lawyer in the UK and I'm the product of two recovering addicts. Welcome Georgie. Bizarre. Hello. Hello. And I'm Liam and I work for Kennedy Street and have no prior knowledge or connection to addiction or any recovery. Lovely to see you, Liam. This is our first time we've actually met Liam in the flesh. It is. Lovely to see you. Lovely to meet you properly. (laughs) Um, And welcome to the Kennedy Kennedy Street family. So, we're going to talk about your experiences of recovery. Um, And maybe we could start with Liam, as he is the newest recruit, to tell us what are his impressions about people in recovery and how recovery works yeah well, I guess I'll start with mm, coming into it from the beginning since not knowing so much about recovery or even let alone addiction to uh, to any extent is completely new territory especially for me since even my family was just the only thing technically classed with addiction related is smoking but even that my family's quite easily gone over it so no connections tremendously but especially after like working for Kennedy Street for such for well for quite a few weeks now it's opened my eyes up quite a lot to how everyone's just incredibly different with their situations like even though it might have like oh, I'm an alcoholic, no one there is the exact same. They all work in different ways and they've all come from different backgrounds. So even if they do want to improve, it will not be the exact same way for everyone. And especially knowing that they've, in the beginning, that people just don't see themselves as an addict they just see themselves as any any other person. But they just, to an extent, come into knowledge of, I've got to change this. I feel that there's something different about me. Which has kind of opened my eyes a bit more to just knowing how people work and how to understand people that bit better. That's really cool. What drew you to wanting to work in a or help in a in a recovery charity? To be honest, I had always thought about volunteering before and everything. So when I kind of saw this, I thought it was actually a very good opportunity to open myself up and learn more about anything, which this just happened to be about recovery and addictions and stuff. So it pretty much perfectly 
slotted in. Cool. Absolutely. Liam, you've been looking at material that we've already produced for Kennedy Street. You've been looking at the material that came out over lockdown, interviews um, with a variety of people. So it's interesting that you've picked up on the fact that everybody, um, everyone's experience is individual. And before before you came to Kennedy Street and before you started to get an insight into what recovery from addiction actually is, did you have any preconceived ideas? And I say that sort of like, so don't hold back because I had preconceived ideas. Yeah. I think you did, didn't you? Yeah. And you, Delhi, also. Oh, crikey, yeah. I mean, me personally, before I became a recovering alcoholic addict, I thought um, all alcoholics were old men. Um, and that they all drank on the streets. Yeah, grubby old men, dirty old men, yeah, smelly, yes, and not like people who had jobs, people who had families, people. I thought that they were people who'd lost everything, rather than people mm. who were tro- juggling to keep things. Mm. Did you have a preconceived idea, Liam, before you came in? Myself personally, I, I guess to an extent the. It's a kind of a similar thing to what Emma said. A lot of the of my thoughts, I know they're kind of stereotypical thoughts, but they were thoughts of people that didn't have jobs, to be honest, where, of course, when you look at it, people hide things. That's how they work. People can do anything. But I think to an extent, that was my biggest preconceived notion, being that they were unfunctional to an extent I was the same and, and most people out there that are listening to this unless they know somebody in recovery will think the same probably um, I know for us as a charity when we we kick-started our helpline during lockdown and within the first 12 months of starting that helpline we received when we got to 2,000 calls we looked at the people that were ringing that helpline and 87% which is a lot of people mm-hmm. 87% of those people all had jobs. I wouldn't say they were high-functioning, because I don't think anybody's high-functioning at the end, or, or, or when addiction kicks in. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of people. And a lot of people out there don't perceive their drinking or drug-taking to be problematic. So it's really interesting to find mm-hmm. out what your take mm-hmm. on it was. That's cool. So, Georgie. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> In complete contrast to Leah, you have had a lot of experience being around people who uh, live in recovery. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, yeah, I, I've kind of always really grown up with it, really. Like, um, so who were your parents, Georgie? Uh, well, you're my mum, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I so, know that, but the audience did. Good question, Claire. Yeah, so Claire, as you know, is my mum. Uh, and Kevin is my dad, which sounds weird to say, call him Kevin. I'm not going to do it again. Um, and it's cool. You say mum and dad. We're yeah, mum and that. dad. Yeah, I'm just saying that now for context. Uh, and I kind of, yeah, to me, it was kind of like a completely normal thing. Like none of my, I wasn't even really aware of it. Obviously, you've always kept it age appropriate for, you know, how I was growing up. Like you weren't like, at the age of three saying like oh yes I did this 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 and that but I've kind of none of your friends ever drank when I was younger so when people 
would drink around me or or when I went round to my friend's house and her dad had a glass of wine I was like what is this I was very confused um because I didn't I didn't nobody ever drank around me until I was about five or any you know I just didn't have any conception conception of what it was really until I got older I remember when you were little and you first went the very first time that you went out for, for tea at your friend's house um, and you came home and you you sort of sat me down and said, so mummy, why don't you and daddy drink that purple juice that <laughs> 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 my friend's mummy and daddy were drinking in, in wine glasses? She said, you've never drank that, why don't you drink? Do you remember that? Yeah, remember yeah, yeah. Um, and you were like, oh well, we're allergic to it we can't have it you know it's just not good for us and you know I kind of just went about I just said okay went about my life um and then I think it was I went to my other friend's house and I think at this point I had some concept of addiction or some concept of what it was and um I came home I was distraught and I said mom I was like just crying, and I, you know, you thought something terrible had happened. Um, <laughs> What's wrong? And I said, um, her dad had a glass of wine with dinner. He's an alcoholic, <laughs> or something like that. I can't even remember what it was. Um, and you're like, well, just because he had a glass of wine with dinner doesn't make him an alcoholic. And I think after I, I finished laughing, yeah, definitely. <laughs> as a compassionate mother would. Yeah, no, I just plus like. I, to me, it's it's something that people drinking was completely alien to me because all of my all of my like godmothers, all of my you know people I was around when I was younger would all drink sparkling water and would never drink beer or never drink wine or I saw my granddad drink a beer once and that was about it really. No, How old were you when that happened? Yeah, How old were say. you when what, you the wine thing? Yeah. Um, about nine, wasn't it? It wasn't. Wasn't it? No, it was in Manchester, so I must have been about six. Oh. Well. So I, and then, you know, I just was really confused about it. Um, and then in in uh, in secondary school, people would be like, oh, so have you had a drink of wine or have you had a drink of whatever? Um, and they're like, oh, yeah, I had, a, I had a sip of my dad's champagne once. And I was like, yeah, I've never done anything of that. I've never seen my parents drink, and I've never had any sort of exposure to it whatsoever. So, and, and what did no? But what, what did your friends say when you said you hadn't had anything, and your mum and dad didn't drink? They just thought well, I was weird. Oh, really? <laughs> like they didn't, you know? It wasn't like bad, but they just, you know, I just didn't think they were just a bit confused because most pa- most parents drink, most parents have wine or whatever. You told us an interesting thing the other day when we were talking about it, about um, when it was discussed at school. Yeah, uh, so basically we had um, a drugs day at uh, secondary school. Is that when everybody got to bring drugs in? (laughs) (laughs) That is exactly what it sounds like, doesn't it? Yeah, because I think I was I'm going to say no, I'm going to say they were trying to tell you about it. Yeah, basically. Um, so I was 14, I think I was 14 at the time, and I was really excited because I was like, oh, right, this is when they're going to start, you know, I think they were going to talk about recovery. I was really excited. I was like, I get to show off and so I say what I know. And I, 
And then it literally was all about, this is a class A drug. You take this drug and then you peel your skin off and think you're an orange. Like, <laughs> and then like, and then all, it, it was just misery, misery, misery. Didn't even mention alcohol as dangerous. Didn't even mention prescription drugs as dangerous. Was prescription drugs is one of like the highest, so addictive and give, giving away like smarties. Yeah. And like, and I, I put my hand up at the end of the day and I was like, "What about prescription drugs?" And do, and I and the t- and I said, "Are we going to learn about what recovery is?" And the teacher was like, "I don't know what that is." Um, <laughs> Stop flicking through a book. <laughs> yeah, like, really? Stop flicking yeah. through a yeah. manual, going, "Oh, um, was, they've not really mentioned that." Yeah. And she she's put it back on you, didn't she? Yeah. Said, That's a strange thing to to mm, say, right. um, Georgie. Why do you mention that? What do yeah, you say? Yeah, well, because she was like. Oh, so what? What is recovery then? Da, 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 and basically asked me, and I said, "Oh, my, my parents have been in recovery from addiction for twenty three years." I didn't think of anything of it, obviously. And then after, my friends came up to me and said, "I'm so sorry," and I was really <laughs> confused because in my brain, I was, it's you know, it's it's very normal. My, like my dad's just sits at home watching football and drinking sparkling water <laughs> like he's a very normal man so I don't know I was just like I went home and I was like why did everyone say I'm so sorry but yeah it was really she was raging when she came home she was livid yeah well the thing about it that's interesting isn't it it's is that we have a uh, a narrative in society about addiction so you see you know we talked last time about films and all that kind of thing there is no narrative whatsoever about recovery yeah and and that's the thing that we're all trying to change isn't it yeah because what i learned that day was the education system is more about fear-mongering than it is about education because the fact of it is people that are going to do heroin are going to do heroin and they think that if they can say don't do heroin they're going to not do heroin which is not realistic and the fact of it was, there's real people, real kids in that school that have experienced something. Like, I remember that day, one of the boys came up to me after, I didn't really know him very well. He came up to me and said, my dad was addicted to prescription drugs and and he got through it. I don't know if he went through it to a programme, but they didn't even mention that. And I, how or, much, or alcohol, did they? Or alcohol, they, they kind of mentioned alcohol in passing. Being like, this is how many units you're supposed to drink a week, oh, yeah. and that's about it. But for an alcoholic, it's deadly. So well, that's what imply that we can have any units. We don't yeah. think oh, in yeah. units anyway. <laughs> do we don't measure in yeah. unit. That's what was sad for me because I was like, that boy who came up to me, that was well, a that was brave. It was very brave. And everybody. B, imagine the clarity he could have got if they had done it properly. If someone who was making that course for the school had actually put some research into it and put some effort into actually educating instead of just thinking, oh, yeah, we've got to stop the kids doing drugs. Because it's just very two-dimensional. It's very sad, really. Yeah, Mm. it's tragic, isn't it? Maybe Mm. we could do something like that. I think that's something we can address, isn't it? You could help us, Georgie. I mean, I think it's interesting. So what year was that in that you did that? 2017, I think. I don't know. I can't do maths, but around that time yeah which is embarrassingly recent but it's interesting isn't it so i remember back in the 80s when i was a gal uh, and there was a series called grange hill yes. and so they had this whole narrative about you know don't do drugs kids do you know what i mean yeah, which I remember it. 
most of us in recovery have a good laugh about every now and yeah. again but it's interesting yeah. that in the is it 20 years between yeah like nothing has changed whatsoever mm. which is sad and you know that cat that kit kitten face that they all gave you or your friends like yeah i'm so sorry that your parents are in recovery it's like you know we get that you know like sometimes i go to people's houses and they're like do you mind if I drink? Are we drink in our own home in front of you? Yeah, it's kind of like, it. yeah, Bizarre. fill your boots, love. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like we've got all of these stereotypes which yeah, are just yeah. really not useful because we're concentrating on substances and not actually what happens inside people. Mm, exactly. And the reasons why that, you know, the things that propel them towards drinking. Mm. What about you, Which Liam? is an allergy. Did and not, not, I'm not going to ask you about your drinking, <laughs> but what about when you were at school? Did you get any education about recovery at school? In terms of recovery, it was pretty much the exact same. It was only specific days that they even spoke about specifically addiction. That was it. Mm. And recovery was, if anything, not even a thought. Not mentioned. Mm. No, it was, as I said before, it was just the hardcore drugs. That's it. It wasn't all the lesser known stuff. It was specifically those things, cocaine, heroin, whatever. It was only that stuff. And then what was it? If I remember correctly, they then brought in, what was it, like a criminal who was put away for that stuff. But nothing to do. Scaremongering. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to bring in a hardened criminal Mm. who's done drugs. Yeah, he'll scare you off. Not one of the white collar guys that's probably in the office down the road. Yeah, yeah. They had like uh, similar to that. Actually, they showed us pictures of people on spice. People like people getting convicted for doing this and this and that. Not even like considering the history of that person the trauma of that person obviously no one goes yeah actually i think i'm gonna be an addict um mm. and just like basically being like this is what happens to you if you do drugs you do the drugs you die the end and there's not even it's just no room for nuance which mm. is just embarrassing it's frankly embarrassing the fact that you know however in 20 years it's not changed and frankly it's criminal I think Mm. I personally think it's criminal because what hope have those young people got if they don't know that recovery exists that's always my argument is if we try and scare people into this it's never going to work but if we can introduce people to people with a lived experience and they can share their stories strength and hope with people also, also stories will do is plant a seed of hope in those pe- in mm-hmm. those young people then but at least in that, I think that's one of the greatest gifts I think that um, we've given you as, as a mum and dad is we've given you God forbid I'm not suggesting you go down the road of <laughs> um, sort of drinking and drug taking but God forbid even if one of your friends yeah. you know gets into trouble with it at least you know recovery exists and you know where it lies in the community. Yeah. So you can you can signpost people to it or take them to a meeting or, yeah. you know, introduce them to somebody that you know. I mean, I'm saying now I am very privileged in that both you and Dad have had very stable recovery since I was born. I know that not everyone will have those same circumstances, so I'm recognising my privilege now. Um, 
and the fact of it is I am privileged to have this life experience as well and the sad thing is a lot of these people will go around with these misconceptions throughout the entire life and just not have it be challenged and it's kind of that thing that it just doesn't just goes unaddressed basically did you do you remember did you ever go to meetings with your mom when you were little oh yeah do you remember going to meetings um i (laughs) uh so basically my mum did um so it was very it wasn't obviously a meeting so it wouldn't like you wouldn't unless you were listening to the conversation think it was a meeting you know my mum would just invite loads of women around for a curry and i just thought it was curry night but apparently (laughs) (laughs) you know but it was really just you know it was a it was a meeting and then also i went to my first like aa meeting in when I was when I was a lot older I think when I was about 17 yeah I think I think from being a tiny baby yeah as soon as they were born I invited people around to my house whilst I was recovering from a cesarean section literally put (laughs) um Georgie in a Moses basket on the table and we all sat around drinking tea and and dunking biscuits and they obviously made me tea and biscuits because I couldn't move so for me I mean that was a godsend Mm. because I was coming off morphine because I'd had had a section and I got this tiny new baby who didn't have an instruction manual which was (laughs) shocking and yeah I didn't know what I was doing so so in the olden days we'd call that um, a fireside meeting wouldn't we mm, yeah. in the yeah. olden days they'd call it a fireside and people would come around every night and just bring different biscuits right. and then when they got when she got old enough we set up um, a mums and baby group mm. and we would literally now they're in a little carry yeah, you yeah, know yeah, in those yeah, car yeah, seats yeah. like a month old we'd plonk them in the middle of the room with a a tradition seven cup between them, <laughs> her and the, uh, another lady who had a baby, yeah. and they used to. And as they grew, they just used to sit and play in the middle of the room. Yeah, no. Some of my favourite um, meetings at the moment are meetings that have littles in them. Yeah, because mm. it's just something to look at. Yeah, Do you know what I mean. Yeah, and play with. Yeah. Really, and I mean, I, yeah, no. I remember there's been some meetings where I remember there was one baby who did their first crawl in a meeting and like everybody so you've got all of you know all different people amazing people that are in recovery but you know like big burly men who you wouldn't think be like like nearly crying that this child's taken their first crawl in a meeting that was very lovely i also think it's a good illustration of it you know and addicts are struggling with powerlessness it's like well can you make that baby do anything no you're powerless over that baby that's what powerless means because yeah. they're going to do their thing especially when they're toddling yeah toddling around a meeting and is smiling at everyone oh and there's nothing more heartwarming when they join in with the serenity oh, oh no yeah, I mean, and they come and, and they hold hands yeah no that that, that happened last week in fact oh. to me. a tiny two-year-old holding hands with me and his mum oh during the serenity beautiful fair. Beautiful. I think there's a big misconception that these meetings are like terrifying and that people are like grizzled and just like horrible. But I think the fact of it is, and that I'm gonna quote a book now because I'm fancy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I've been reading reading um, Oprah Winfrey's book with Dr. Brian oh, Perry. Love I've not been shutting up about this book. I feel sorry What's for my called? mom. It's called What Happened to You, and it's about trauma in the brain, particularly childhood bro- uh, trauma and how that manifests and how it kind of 
not only affects a child as is, but affects a child throughout their life. Um, and it's fascinating. And it's one part of it, it talks about how um, when the baby's born, it's dysregulated because of all of these new sounds and smells and all of those things. And, you know, the, the mum or whoever's with the baby has to regulate the baby, obviously. And so that can be through rocking, you know, comforting them, whatever. And, you know, when we didn't have this civilised modern society that we have now, we would, you know, everyone would, you know, collectively raise the children. That's what, you know, it was like, you know, it takes a village, that's where it comes from. Mm. And that's why I think why AA is so special and why those sorts of groups are so special is because it goes back to a very human thing, a very human thing of raising not only just you know talking about the the hard times because there are them but talking about 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 raising the future together mm. and raising babies together and talking about their life now i mean of course it's going to be addressing things that have happened in the past of course that's going to be part of it but it's about community yeah. and banding together and like you know like like you said about you know seeing babies grow up and uh, you know uh, that's why I think the new generation is so important, especially you know, especially in schools. That's why it's it's going to be talked about. I've been very lucky to grow up with it, but other people aren't as lucky. I think yeah, I think Georgie deserves some jammy dodger. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the thing is, it's that thing, isn't it? When you know, when I came into the fellowship, I didn't understand what the word fellowship meant. Mm because I'd never experienced community in my life because the opposite of addiction is, you know, addiction is about disconnection. Recovery is about connection. And I think the fact that each of the fellowships has, an, has a spiritual aim, which even that, I mean, you could spend an hour discussing that, couldn't you really? But mm. just that idea of community, I hadn't had that in my life whatsoever. So it took a while to get get, get used to it because it wasn't, it's that thing, isn't it, that I thought I came because I just needed to stop drinking and using, when actually that wasn't really why I'd, you know, like I was... It's not really, why you stayed. Yeah, it's not why I yeah. stayed at all. I stayed because there is a community, there is a fellowship, um, and we get to see people getting better and, mm. and celebrate people getting better and celebrate people's children growing up yeah. and celebrate... You know, one day at a time, obviously, but it's like we get to celebrate all these amazing gifts that recovery gives us mm. that none of us expected to get when we got here. Yeah, and I think true. it's really interesting that Liam talks about the differences that you see in people's recoveries. And were, were there any like common threads that you could see that ran through? You know, were there any similarities between those people? To be honest, not really. There weren't tremendous connections if anything when i watch some of the videos and the podcasts and stuff you made and stuff if anything i found some connections to me which i had with those people going through the recovery and everything where if i remember correctly it was stuff about being around alcohol and everything and not thinking you're going to become anything more than what your parents were and stuff like that mm. But then when I've looked at every other video, I haven't really found any connections or threads going through everyone. 
Like, they've gone through a few, but then they've just stopped with the next. It's true, isn't it? I mean, really, if you think about it, we are all so unique. Mm. We are... There's, I, I've never, ever, ever heard my story exactly in, an, in a meeting. Or I've ne- no, not one person has ever sort of spoken my truth, my... You know, but there are elements, mm. like Liam says. It is all about the con- <laughs> common elements. They say, don't they, when you come into a meeting first time, you, you should look for the similarities. Yeah. And sometimes people will tell you they find that hard Yeah. initially because you're resistant to hearing the similarities. And then when you hear one, ah, hang on, okay, and it kind of knocks down your last excuse and then you've got to look for the rest. Yeah, I think that's part of act. I don't know if it's part of addiction or if it's part of being a human. Mm. Because I, th- I find a lot of, when, when I say civilians, when, I mean people that don't drink or drug addictively, like so normal people. <laughs> um, <laughs> that th- There's very much this perception where we look at other people and we look for the differences. Quite a, quite a human conditioning, I think, mm. to look for the differences. And I don't know if that's healthy, because I found that that looking for the similarities has really helped me a lot. Mm. Well, it takes us back to what we said at the beginning, wasn't it? We have this misconception that a, um, an addict is some is some filthy, filthy, smelly, dirty, down and out, the very very yeah. bottom of the pile, and we don't identify with who's at the bottom of the pile because what we've been trying to prove to ourselves and using drinking drugs to support that delusion is that we're different and we're actually somewhat better Mm. you know um so I think yeah it can be very unhealthy when I had someone who I looked at and I thought well okay my life is not great but at least I'm not as bad as them yeah and you'll hear people say that won't you I thought I wasn't an alcoholic because I didn't drink during the day I, I thought I wasn't an alcoholic because I didn't drink spirits. I only drank wine and beer. You know, we've all got a yeah. all got a get out mm, clause somewhere, yeah. haven't we? And to be honest, I thought that all of those things and it took me five years in recovery before the penny dropped. I used to sit there judging everybody mm. at at first. I used to sit in meetings thinking, Well, I haven't done that. I haven't done that. I still both my kidneys are still working, so I can't be that bad. And the people used to talk about a morning drink, and I used to think, no. that's terrible, really. When you mm. think, well, you know, obviously, if that ever happened, then of course I could understand people stopping. And it took me five years in recovery before I realised that I actually didn't get out of bed until about two o'clock in the afternoon. When it wasn't the morning. And it wasn't so the morning. So you were allowed to drink. So, so you were. And my first drink would be around three o'clock. Yeah. So really, it was a morning drink. It was yeah. just my mornings were afternoons. Yeah. Just you reframed the whole thing to make it totally. okay. Deluded. Ooh, hang on. That sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Madness. The scary thing is that these misconceptions, because because the, the, the views of... of um, the public affect who's voted into parliament and who's voting into parliament affect the laws and all of those things as someone who's been i've been doing law at a level the things i've been learning about intoxication as a defense for for murder particularly and for other things like you know for what for for um battery or gbh or whatever 
it's actually quite terrifying. Like, all of it is so wrong. And I said to Caroline after, who's my law teacher, I said to her, I was like, all of this is wrong. All of this is wrong. Because, for example, one of the things that we I was learning about, um, it's about alcohol dependency syndrome. And one of them, I can't, don't, if there are any people that actually know the law better than me, don't quote me on this. But um, one of them was uh, she couldn't claim alcohol dependency syndrome. I think it was RV Tandy. She couldn't uh, claim alcohol dependency syndrome because she re- uh, she regularly drank one kind of um, one kind of alcohol, but the day that she killed, she drank something else, which to me is insanity. Because just because you've changed the drink that you're drinking every single day doesn't make you less of an alcoholic. That's insane. That so is. she so she couldn't claim diminished responsibility for murder, which to me is like our laws reflect these misconceptions, which is it, it's really really scary. It is. That is scary. Yeah. 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 What do you wish someone had said to you in in you know in your education? or around you that would have given you a better understanding? Straight up, just the thought of even recovery as a, even as a concept would have been nice to even hear about. Mm-hmm. Because whenever you just, for me especially, when you think of addiction, when I was like in school and everything, to me, I'll be honest, it felt like an end and that was it, where there was nothing that you could do to an extent. But knowing that recovery and everything is there to help and everything, it's like a light at the end of the tunnel to an extent. But not knowing that previously was almost like you've hit a wall. That's it. And there's no getting better. Which, that alone would be nice to have known, even from a young age. Yeah. I think think they're missing a trick in schools. I really Mm. do think they're missing a trick. And now in some in some states in America, they, they teach the twelve step program. To, yeah, what, in schools. In, yeah, in certain wow. schools, in certain schools in the states, um, I think where there's a lot of problematic um, issues. I but think they they. I mean, there's definitely all in colleges and uh, universities. Everybody knows about the twelve step program. They have an, an alumni, so sobriety alumni within oh. universities in the states but i think we know about the 12 steps and we know how versatile they are mm-hmm. and how fabulous they are as a tool set mm. for living because yeah. it isn't about the substance of the behavior really is it no the 12 steps are a tool a toolbox for living really i've often said to you haven't oh, you 100 percent. and i think even if someone's not even if someone's not an addict, a everyone everyone knows someone. First of all, yeah. even if it's even if it's like because the thing is, everyone thinks, oh yeah, I'll, if someone was an addict, I'd definitely know. No, you fucking wouldn't. You wouldn't. And b, it's just nice values to live by. Yes, like yeah. it just makes it makes you makes you a better human being. If and if anything, are we not looking for better for self improvement? Is that what isn't that what anyone is looking for? Mm. We should be. Yeah, I think as a I society, we should be we should be running things. I, th- I, I think we, we definitely need to be running a lot of things because if you look at what we've got, we've got those community values that George has talked about that 
you you learned about in the Oprah book, you know, the the scientific and evolutionary basis behind that, you know, that's how that's how humans are, are meant to be. Um, but also, you know, we have we have communities of equals mm. where we manage to have trusted servants, as we say, people who do do certain jobs, um, and we manage to to run a sort of functioning democratic. Um, organization that has no head that has no um you know cabinet ministers or permanent under secretaries equal yeah we're all equal we all take our turn at the wheel um i think we've we've got a lot of values we've got principles haven't we emma often we do. talks to me about the principles i love a good principle. i love the principles tell us what the principles are uh well there's principles for the steps and the traditions oh that's right youth mate um so the principles behind the steps the first one is honesty which i often hear people so i wonder whether this is true after you've um gone through all the youtube things that people when they first come to meetings they're like you're all so honest yeah. it's like which makes me scared really for the rest of society if we're that yeah. honest yeah and everybody's kind of like that was a that was a weird thing you lot and your weird honesty <laughs> yeah but yeah honesty so did you were you astonished by people's honesty in the youtube things i guess not Tremendously, probably uh, only because I live by honesty. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's to me. See, okay. this generation are better at honesty. They than are, but they are different. But so yeah, the rest of the principles: honesty, hope, faith, courage, um, uh, willingness, humility, forgiveness, integrity. Ooh. I know that's a good one. Mm. Which is honesty with knobs on. Um, service is a principle, and love is a principle mm. yeah and I like to think that those principles run through all of us well that's what it says at the end of a meeting isn't it that we need to put the principles before our personality yeah 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 they should be teaching that sort of shit in schools definitely. Yeah. definitely and I think in some schools they do but I think I think it's part of our human condition that we just get lost a bit along the way mm. yeah. and sometimes you know well, we're not being in schools. I think we're not always encouraging people to be the best them that they can be, which is what what we're seeking in the programs, isn't it? Mm. Um, it's like, are you going to be a functioning economic unit? Are you going to be able to play your part as a, you know, like a brick in the wall, like you know that thing? Um, Do you mean Pink Floyd? That's it. Yes. I knew I knew their name. <laughs> You know, are we are we raising people to be bricks in a wall of the economy and things, or are we wanting to raise that community that Georgie was talking about? You know, where everybody nurtures, everybody everybody shares. I think um, I think our way is better. Yeah, I think the thing that we, when I first came into the fellowships, the thing which I was most people used to say all the time. You know, we'll love you till you love yourself. Mm. You don't get many of them onions, do you, anywhere else? No. One of the things I, I wanted to ask is, do you, have you had any sense when you've been looking at things? We, we are used to figures of speech and terms that we use. Does it sound like jargon to you, either of you? I mean, Georgie, you're probably more used to it. But Liam, maybe looking at, at things 
Do we speak a different language? No, definitely oh. not. Like, yes. you do say things, but then, like, everything has logic to it. It all makes sense when you actually listen to everything you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's good. Oh, oh that's, that's Emma's prayer prompt. Everybody say a prayer. Everybody say a prayer. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with Liam. Because the thing is, it, again, it's all, all of the foundations of AA and of the programme are things you can live by. And the thing is, I didn't, I've, you know, because obviously I've grown up with two parents that are, in, that are in the program. Because I've grown up with it, I've been saying AA sayings for years. <laughs> All of the lives. And not yeah. realise they're AA sayings. So what were some of your favourites? Oh, not your monkeys, not your circus. <laughs> not really officially an AA no. saying, but, but it fits. Um, it's l- a Polish proverb, actually. Yeah. I sort of <laughs> not your say mon- a lot to sponsees. <laughs> Yeah, Not Your Monkeys has been helpful. Uh, Let Go With Love has been helpful. Um, oh, God, millions. Hand them over. Hand them over. Yeah. Really annoying, but also helpful. <laughs> um, because I don't really like to relinquish control. Um, but then uh, it's just been very helpful, really. Like, and all the, the thing is, the sayings, they're just applicable to any human being, really. It's human condition. All of them are quite accessible which is quite nice and i think what's really good as well because georgie's of that age where she she's questioning pretty much everything Mm -hmm. which is obviously sensible sensible, um including so i myself am a woman of faith i do go to church i do have a faith whereas georgie doesn't believe in god or struggles with the whole concept you're questioning it aren't you yeah but what's really interesting is because they they've grown up around the word higher power. Yeah. You find that a lot easier to swallow, don't you? Yeah, I'm very priv- I'm very privileged in that. Um, I've been able to have that kind of a freedom of religion to pick what you know, pick your own god, pretty much. Mm. And you know, it's just been nice because essentially you don't have to come the, the the i've been very lucky in that it's always been that i don't have to complicate it the the, the the biggest fact of it is is a powerlessness and b i'm not the driving force in the universe which is actually when you think about it quite comforting yes it is what I, I totally agree <laughs> yes so if i can say right whatever's out there can you can you take this please i'm a bit sick of it that's it that's all you've got to do it doesn't you know you don't have to i personally i don't really agree with any religious institution i think that if if people want to do what they want to do do that personally i don't agree with the uh, foundations of religion as they're mainly built on corrupt white men that basically took something that's very human like believing in something higher which i do think is fundamental to who we are as human beings and thought we can make a profit on this we can control women we can control the gays we can control everyone and then basically wrote a fuck ton of books being like this is how we're going to control you and then everyone took it as gospel that's my view on it but (laughs) but saying that Everyone should do what they want. Yeah. yeah. 
and like it. But listen, everybody's as entitled long, to a personal opinion. Yeah, mm. and as long as as long as you're engaging with media and in, engaging with the things around you, including religion, including all of that things, with a critical mindset and with a conscious mindset, and being like, what am I actually feeding into here? And what am I consciously contributing to? Then it's fine. And I think one of the misconceptions about the fellowships is that it is a religious thing. Mm. Yes. yes. And not a spiritual thing. And I think that's really good that you, that... It's been brought up. Yeah, that that's been brought up. And it's amazing that as um, someone who has grown up around the 12 steps that you have, you know, you can embrace the idea of a a power greater than yourself, which is uh, individual to you, because that's the whole point of the programme. Yeah. Um, it's a whole part of life isn't it really I don't know I don't know whether a lot of people do that but I mean it's like for me like you said relinquishing control to something else is actually quite um, a relief yeah definitely I mean it is and it isn't because obviously I can hold up the world and do everything yes Um, do you think we're all control freaks yeah I think so as human beings I think you both are yeah I'm not (laughs) Are you Liam? Are you a control freak? Only when it comes to specific things. Yeah, really? see? See, he's a controlled control freak. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. What are you what are you controlled about your controlism about? I guess technology to an extent. Yeah. Because I know a I know a load about technology. So if, for instance, my mum or my brother doesn't know something, I will instantly want to have a go at it. Okay. Mm. Fair. I get quite upset if someone micromanages me in the kitchen. I don't like that. That's that's my control thing. Like if someone, like I, I'm the group chef in my friendship group, and if someone tells me how to make bolognese, I get quite upset. And I I'm working on not being upset, but it's a daily thing. I think it's, it's a daily reprieve. It yeah, a daily <laughs> it's a daily thing. And you know what? They are self-aware. They haven't had to write four column inventory no. to have the self-awareness no. it comes to them naturally yeah. I think thing. our future is in safe hands yeah. ladies yeah. Yeah. and I think what would be lovely is as you know this is only the second episode of our our podcast but I think you know maybe in about a year's time it would be nice to invite them back again and yeah. and you know see see what, what they think about the world's probably going to have changed a lot in that time and um, your understanding. And their understanding of the world as, as younger people. So, you know, thank you for coming to to share with us today and come and share with us again in the future. Oh, yeah, I'd like that yeah. a lot. Yeah. Absolutely. We've really loved having them we on. We have. It's, it's been, been amazing. Brilliant. I think also what I'd like to cover is the misconception yeah. um, that some people in society have of recovering addict alcoholic parents that they might stop their children from exploring and Mm. doing you know rites of passage around alcohol Mm -hmm. and drugs Mm -hmm. you know I mean I'm not gonna lie it was one of my really big worries when my kids were a lot Mm. smaller how was I gonna handle it because I could see my friends um kids going and doing like normal things that normal teenagers do Mm. so what's been your experience Georgie again I think the fact of it is it's it's about one of the things that I think people in recovery are blessed to have is perspective and that also I think seeing your children as individuals and the fact of it is yeah they're little now but they're gonna grow up and try everything 
And the thing is, you can either choose to tell them nothing and let them go in blind, or obviously keep it age appropriate, like we said before, but give them that toolbox so that they can have that initial introspection and have that initial perspective on a not just what's going on inside them and how they react to drugs or how they react to whatever and those situations and those social situations where there will be pressure obviously because it's inevitable or just and also the fact that there's again it's not hitting a brick wall there is a way out Mm. and and god forbid if they decide to do try it and they're like, fucking hell, I like this a bit too much. It's not the end, and they don't. Ha- it doesn't have to be a dirty secret. It can. It can be. F- it can be, f- not fixed, but it can be reconciled. Yeah. Yeah. So that if they do take that path, it's not a route necessarily a route to despair. Mm. Yeah. If they hit, yeah, I agree. And and Leah was nodding vigorously. Yeah. <laughs> did you have those conversations with your parents, Liam, about drinking? Yeah, I did. It was sort of conversations of like look I've got this you can try it if you want so it was the sort of thing that Georgie was saying it's like to an extent dipping your toes in it and getting some prior knowledge of what you could be going into before fully going into it Mm. which even though it wasn't the exact same with like other drugs but specifically with alcohol it was that sort of area to do with like Marijuana, weed, for instance. I had no connection to it aside from the friends I went to school with. Yet, for some reason, I think with the connections I had with my family and talking about it prior, I didn't want to do it. With just even talking about it, having some prior knowledge, I think helps tremendously towards anything. I think self-knowledge, because you strike me as somebody who knows the self really well, and I think that's such a gift, mm. such a gift. I know I know for me, for Georgie, um, they sat me down and said, Mummy, I want to talk to you, um, we need to sit down. I thought, I didn't know at this point that, that she was gay, um, I thought <laughs> she was going to tell me she was pregnant. And I was thinking, oh my God. So we sat down and she said, I want to talk to you about alcohol. And she said, I know, you know, your background and daddy's background and all my friends and all your friends and, you know, they don't drink. She said, but my friends have been drinking and using drugs since they were about 13 and you were about 15 or 16. I think I was 15 when I had my first drink. drink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she says, what I don't want to do is scare you and and mm. come home drunk and for you to freak out she said so i'm i'm going to a party tomorrow night and i'm going to have a drink so i want to know how you feel about that and i just my heart melted of course it did it melted a little bit and i was so proud and i was like oh that is so sweet thank you so i don't ever remember having a conversation like that with my mum or dad and um i said thank you so much for talking to me about it of course i don't mind of course being a mom and you only being 15 i'm gonna give you the normal mum talk as to the reasons why there's an age limit because your kidneys are still forming and so is your brain mm. and all your other organs but of course it's a rite of passage isn't it yeah, yeah. yeah. and wouldn't we rather have those conversations with our kids 
where they can talk to us about it rather yeah. than I remember my first drink drinking a bottle of Cinzano with my mate <laughs> Isabel in a public <laughs> toilet yeah. and puking all over myself red sick I mean try and get that out with a flannel and I think I mean one of the things when my when my eldest was uh, 18 she got quite upset about the fact that she wouldn't be able to have a pint with me or a dad um, and so I, I imported some friends that did drink so that she could buy them a pint do you know what I mean and I didn't go to the pub but obviously I had fizzy water or whatever but yeah that's that was okay do you know what I mean but again you know it'd be interesting to get my kids on this actually because they also grew up in a house without any um, alcohol with me as mum just going well you're probably going to do all of that anyway so do you know what, if you want to talk to me about it talk to me about it but I think that's why transparency is very important. Yes. Yeah. Because the thing is, obviously, kids are just mirrors of what they see. And if you share that vulnerability, obviously don't tell them, like, grisly horror stories. No. But, like, having... By telling your lived experience, obviously, in an age-appropriate way, um, it's showing, A, it's okay to make mistakes. Everybody... You're allowed to fall flat on your face. And, it, and it's not the end. And also, that there's a way out. I like what Liam said about the fact that what you discovered from all the YouTube clips was that there was hope. Yeah. And that without, yeah. when you, at school, if you're only ta taught about addiction, you don't know about recovery. Yeah. You don't get that there's hope or mm. a light at the end of the tunnel. Because we do need to dispel myths about the fellowships because people don't, people don't go become because they're ashamed mm. and people don't come because of the the stigma and because mm. of the the preconceived ideas that they have from watching it on tv mm. and it's never portrayed correctly mm. maybe Apart that's from, another avenue for us i think we should discuss i think what we should do is come around to my house mm -hmm. and watch um the series mom which is an american series which is all about recovery and it's the only series i've ever ever seen on tv that really truly portrays recovery as it is mm. you I love mean, it it's very powerful in that even the, i've obviously learned been exposed to a lot of recovery it's it it brought new ideas to me that i've never even heard about and it was it is very i think especially to someone who's not experienced a lot of recovery i think it'd be very important and it's because it's such an accurate accurate depiction of what it's like. It's so funny. When Georgie first, we started watching Mom together. Mm. And she sat watching it and she kept looking at me like that. Side-eyeing me. <laughs> and watching it. And then uh. side-eyeing me. And then watching it at the end. And she went, oh my God. She said, there's an old lady on the, uh, on the series who's an old-timer. Mm. Who's got grey hair? And she's called Marjorie, and she comes out with all the classics. You know the statements like "Live and let live," yeah, "Let go and let God," and all these things. And Georgie looked at me and she went, "You're Marjorie." <laughs> <laughs> like, oh yes, nice. aspirations. Thank you, Marjorie. Yeah, but I think no, even like simple things like uh, there was one episode. I'm not going to spoil it because I'm. It's a really great show. But one person, one of the characters um, goes through a food addiction, which A, is really fucking important to portray because no mm. one talks about it. It's always like heroin or alcohol or whatever. No mm. one talks about the food addictions, which is shit because they're always just normalised. Um, and 
so because she goes through a food addiction she gets this like life coach and the life coach is like oh just have just have one cookie and so, <laughs> so, the, so the character the character does she has one cookie and she's like and she manages to just have one and she's like oh my god this is amazing i can't believe i just had one cookie and then it cuts the neck and then she, then she calls the main character in the middle of the night says I've, I've had a drink because she's thought because i've just had one cookie i can i can drink like a normal person again i can have one beer and one of the things that was so important was um i think it was either i can't remember which character said it was none of us are one cookie people no. and i was like that's fucking genius it's <laughs> so profound yeah, for that you, is no and that is. is true like i'm not like literally i have been sat here eating jammy touches and i'm not like a one of anything kind of a person really i, I know it hardly shows but <laughs> yeah but that was so profound for you wasn't it when she was like that is so powerful yeah. and, it's, and it's accessible because yeah. anyone yes can watch it is that. accessible that's yeah. true yeah so for those who are listening the series is called mom m-o-m and I think it's on Amazon Prime, isn't it? I think so. No, that's fabulous. Thank you both again. Yeah. Love having you. That's been brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you.